one of the things that we've been talking about um, just since coming back post-COVID is kind of how we're replanting our church. Uh, in this season, uh, we've had a lot of new people come, and uh, we just thought it's a great time for us to just think about crossroads in light of replanting our church. Uh, that's why we also have uh, May 15, May 22, the two Sundays after Mother's Day. Um, our, we have partnership class during the second service. And you're going to find out in that class more about what we are as a church, what we're going for. I'll just say it here. Uh, this church, you don't exist for the staff. The staff, we exist for you. We exist uh, to raise you up as disciples, uh, for you to uncover your dream for the kingdom of God. Uh, and it's our job then to pour fire on that. So that's just a little commercial of uh, some of the things that you'll learn uh, as you uh, become a partner. And it's one of those things that as staff, we, we don't just call our church to these things. We want to live uh, profoundly in these values that we have, disciples making disciples. And one of the ways that I get to do that is uh, we have two residents on staff all the time. Residents are, are people that are coming here to Crossroads for two years, uh, and we have the opportunity to raise them up as pastors and then send them out. And we have a new resident uh, that's starting today, and I want you guys to give this guy a warm welcome. He's been at Crossroads for a while, in and out, but he's back. His name is Dave Drew. Dave, come on up. <laughs> Dave, you're gonna to preach today. Yeah. Right. <laughs> no. uh, please. Yeah. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Uh, friends, we're gonna be in uh, Mark chapter seven. We're gonna start in verse one, and we're gonna go all the way down to verse sixteen. The reading of the word of the Lord. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating with food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the traditions of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash and they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, 
and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corban, that is, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. And again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this, nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. This is God's word. You may be seated. So we see again that Jesus is on trial. Uh, He's always on trial, it seems. He's being watched like a hawk. Uh, This time it's the Pharisees. In fact, these Pharisees come all the way from Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus is in the Galilee. I don't know if that means anything to you, but we're talking uh, 60 miles minimum. And that day you walk 20 miles a day. So we're talking a three-day journey to confront Jesus on this issue of his disciples not washing their hands before they eat. Um, Crazy. Now let me just say something about the Pharisees. We've talked about the Pharisees. Uh, Pharisee, I think, today has come to mean a hypocrite, but that's not what a Pharisee meant in the first century. Uh, Pharisee, as we've learned, it's, it, it's not even a political party. Pharisee is not an official title. Pharisee is not a formal position. In fact, most of the Pharisees were blue-collar with simple vocations. But Pharisee, in the first century, is a movement. It's this return-to-God movement that is centered on a total life commitment to obedience to God's word, to be holy as God is holy. And this commitment to holiness, also for a Pharisee, had strong emphasis on separation from the world. In fact, that's what Pharisee actually means. It means to separate. They, they separated themselves uh, from the world. So their issue with Jesus is... They say to him, your disciples don't wash their hands before eating. And this brings us into some of the most difficult parts of our Bible. God's instructions about things that are clean and unclean. And and most of these laws are found in our favorite book of the Bible, Leviticus. Uh, I know a book that you guys read an awful lot. Uh, But let me just kind of make the third book of our Bible, Leviticus, as simple as I can. God through Leviticus basically says a person is unclean. If you touch anything that's dead, it could be a dead person, it could be a dead animal, it could even be mildew. You're unclean if you have an infectious disease like leprosy or rashes or even open sores or boils. You're unclean if, if, if you have or touch any bodily discharge like diarrhea, menstruation, these kind of things. Many foods were declared unclean. This is where we get terms like kosher, unkosher. Uh, uh, certain foods are, were, were not, 
were, were unclean, and if you ate that food, uh, you were unclean. But here's the basic principle. Any contact with bodily discharge, disease, or decay made a person unclean. It made someone unfit for the presence of a holy God. I'm very confident that if I gave everyone in this room the assignment to read Leviticus this week, <laughs> see, some of you just might take me up on this. I mean, in this book where God talks about clean and unclean and all his prescriptions, I'm pretty confident it make many of us uncomfortable. Much of it sounds archaic, and I think you'd conclude that, wow, this, this is almost obsessive-compulsive. But then I ask this question, but we're not. I see these same laws posted in every public restroom I enter. I, I would like to think these laws are in my own household, except for the fact that I have 20-year-old sons that when I still go into the bathroom when they're out, there's pee everywhere. But why do you laugh? See, you, you, are, you are embracing a system of code. You know, I, I'm, I'm from Byron Center. That's always my excuse. And, you know, you, you can get the, the boy out of Byron Center, but not Byron Center out of the boy. I remember Bennett one time. This is literally when we first planted our church. It's when he was a little kid. And by the way, he graduated yesterday from college. So that's... Let's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's a long, long morning at Crossroads, and I'm coming back to the car, and, and there's Bennett taking a leak on my car outside in the parking lot. <clears throat> okay, anyway. <laughs> Think about when someone's sick. Think uh, about how we respond to germs today. See, these purity laws are actually universal. And what God wants us to know about the purity laws is that they are about more than just something physical, than, than discharge, disease, and decay, but they're actually God's pictures to us of sin and its effects. Because the same thing that physical disease and decay do to our bodies, sin does to the heart and to our relationship with each other and to God. Just think about how disease and decay alienate us. Remember years ago, I, I went into a sunglasses store, and um, I was looking at a pair of sunglasses, and the store clerk uh, came up to me, and I, I, I looked at him, and I just like, oh, get me out of here. He literally had the most disgusting thing coming out of his nose, and he didn't know it. I know what you're all doing right now. Everybody wiped their nose, Okay. <laughs> Or just think about all of our bodily issues, the sights, the smells, and sometimes the, dis the disgust that goes along with them. I remember my kids, when they were younger, they'd be sometimes be like, Dad, your breath, it's so bad, and they'd run away, and I'd feel a little bit repulsive. Uh, but isn't that a picture of sin? This is what sin does. Sin makes us repulsive. I mean, for crying out loud, we've just spent two years in COVID. All the protocols that we've been living with and under are, are literally are taken right out of the book of Leviticus. 
But more than just do these things alienate us, a disease and decay, eventually at some point, the right disease will hit us. And in our decayed physical state, we will not be able to overcome it and we will die. And I think this is such a powerful, profound picture of sin and its destructive effects. Sin doesn't just alienate us from God and from each other, but eventually sin will kill us. It's what Romans says, the wages, wages of sin is death. And yet today we live in a culture, even go to church, where we don't respect sin. We, we, we treat sin like a common cold or a headache, when actually sin is more like a brain tumor. And maybe we should read Leviticus a little bit more often. But here's the Pharisees' complaint. Jesus, your disciples are breaking the rules. Now, what rules are they breaking? See, this is where the conflict lies between Jesus and the Pharisees because they both, I want you to hear this, they both have the same end game in mind. They are both passionate about total commitment to God. With God's word being the very basis of that commitment. A commitment to be holy, to be distinct. Jesus and the Pharisee had that in common. But where the Pharisee movement went awry, where the train got off the tracks, it's all their man-made rules that they actually added to God's instruction. For instance, God says, do not commit adultery. So they would come up with a hundred rules to ensure that one person keeps that rule. Now, I've done the same thing in my life. I have uh, added rules which, which act as moral fences. Um, I don't drive with another woman. I don't uh, meet with another woman in my office uh, more than one time. I don't go out to eat with another woman. Uh, none of that is biblical. Those are just rules to protect and to ensure uh, that I am faithful to my wife. Um, but the Pharisees are doing this with, with every one of God's laws. And not only are they adding like a hundred of their own man-made laws to God's actual command, but over time, the man-made rules became more authoritative than God's actual command which is exactly what Jesus is saying in verses 9 to 13. Look at it. And Jesus continued, You have a fine way of setting aside the actual commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. And then he gives an example. And then he ends it in verse 13. He says, And thus you nullify, you cancel out the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. So on this issue of hand-washing, is that in God's word should be our first question. No, it's not. God never instructs us to wash our hands. This is one of their man-made rules that is part of what is called the oral tradition today, obviously called the tradition of the elders in Jesus' day. And this is why Jesus rebukes them. Look at what he says in verse 6. He actually quotes Isaiah 
Uh, he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules, human traditions. And basically, what I have just described is religion. Religion is anything that is man-made. And I want to say, it's not that all religion or, or tradition, as in the idea of creating moral fences, these other rules to help us uh, keep God's actual commands, that they're always uh, wrong. But when our thing trumps God's thing, his very word, we are stepping into some very dangerous territory because now it's about us and not about God. But before we criticize the Pharisees and their movement, I just want you to know, like, the Pharisee is alive and well today. I mean, I, it's, from my perspective, it's actually shifting more from inside the church uh, to outside the church into our culture I mean, when you look at all the rules today and the obsession with rule keeping and then the policing of those rules, I mean, if you don't say it right, political correctness will spank you. If you don't think it the right way, if you don't behave it the right way, there's a woke mob that will cancel you. And I just say, hey, cancel me. I don't care. Um, but it's not just out there. It's also in the church. I mean, just even take what we're doing this morning. We, we, we call this a worship service. And the Bible really doesn't say that you have to worship uh, one way or, or another way. And I understand worship here can be a bit loud and expressive. Uh, in some places, it's quiet and people sit still and they take notes. Uh, there's nowhere in the Bible that talks about how we are to actually worship and there's not a good or bad here, but the moment we start thinking our way, the way we do it, is better, now we've become a Pharisee. And even more than elevating their, their man-made rules over God's word, they actually had a bigger flaw. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. It actually flows out of, of, of something that Jesus and the Pharisees have in common that they agree on, and that is our need to wash. And right now, I'm not talking about washing our hands. I'm not talking about taking a bath. I'm not talking about taking a shower. We all, whether we know this or not, have a deep, inherent need to wash, to become clean. And I've lived in three different contexts now in my adult life. I've lived in Indianapolis, I've lived in Chicago, I've lived in Grand Rapids. And I find it very interesting how, how people, whether they're religious or, or irreligious, uh, have this sense of, of defilement. Some even uh, feel a sense that, that they're dirty. Uh, again, this is both religious and irreligious people. And, and, and in some ways it's kind of amazing because... We live in a world that's come of age. Um, we've thrown out all these beliefs in such things as the holy God, heaven or hell, or sin. I'm talking about our culture uh, where people are free to create their own morality. They're free to choose their own identity, their sexuality. They live in a world where anything goes, and yet they still feel this deep sense of defilement. 
Fyodor Dostoevsky, I, I think he is the greatest uh, uh, non-biblical writer of all time, writing in the late 1800s. Uh, he could see where this world come of age was headed. And in my opinion, he writes the two greatest novels ever, Brothers Karamazov being the, the greatest, and then Crime and Punishment being the second. And he has this character in Crime and Punishment called Raskolnikov, who typifies this world come of age. He's this young intellectual who's abandoned all this ancient thinking about God, Christ, and the church. He's replaced it with a new ideology of humanism where the self is, is a supreme authority and, and now all free from God and all those moral constraints that came with God. And you would think that that kind of freedom from God would bring about a guilt-free, shame-free life so one night, this character, Raskolnikov, goes out and murders this old lady simply to prove to himself that he's free of all those age-old constraints. But to his shock, the guilt comes flooding in. He can't rationalize it away. And as much as he wants to be above the law or free from the law, he literally becomes delirious with guilt with shame, with self-loathing and condemnation. Thus the title of the whole novel, Crime and Punishment. The punishment is the condemnation, the shame, the guilt. And Romans 1 tells us that God has written his very law on our hearts. And I think this is why today so many people feel like something is seriously wrong, like, like they're failing the exam, that if other people could really find out who they are, that they wouldn't be accepted or valued or liked. And why is this? It's because we are stained. We're, we're defiled. We're unclean. There, there is this need that we all feel to wash. And here's a Pharisee's approach or strategy to this. They deal with the sense of defilement in an outside-in manner. They desperately want to believe that what's wrong is out there. That it's not in here. They're too proud to think that sin is in them or that they could actually be the source of sin or the cause of sin. So because then sin is outside of them, thus the word Pharisee, which means to separate, as long as I separate myself from that place, or I don't touch that, or I don't eat that, or I don't hang out with those kind of people, And it's all outside in. They, they, they are obsessed then with the outside of the cup of their life. With making the outside of the cup look good. They're about appearances. Because if I do a good, enough good or look good enough on the outside, maybe I'll feel good on the inside. And what I've just described, that is religion. Religion is all about performance, where the whole motivation is, if I just can perform this good enough, then God will like me. And if I do it just right, 
say it just right, he will approve of me and accept me. That is not biblical. That is religion. And this is where I, I, I agree with, with, with the atheist uh, agnostic, uh, Frederick Nietzsche. Uh, he says all religion at the end of the day is a power play. He says because religious people use their goodness and their rule keeping as a power play with others. It gives them a one up. It gives them reason to feel superior to others. I am better than you. Jesus says the same thing in the, in, in the parable that he tells about the Pharisee and the tax collector. I mean, here is this Pharisee, this ultimate rule keeper, and he's praying to God, God, I thank you that I'm not like those people. And then he says, I fast. Well, God's word does instruct his people to fast one time a year on Yom Kippur. This Pharisee says in his prayer, but I fast twice a week. I mean, he just snuck that in there. What's he doing? He is shouting what God's word is whispering. He raises it up, and in raising it up, he is raising himself up. You guys only fast one time a year? Well, guess what? I fast two times a week. I'm better than you. I'm morally and spiritually superior to you. Probably never said that. But he went around thinking it. And the Pharisee did this with everything. With Sabbath keeping. With clean and unclean. With all God's laws. But again, before we beat up the Pharisee, let me just ask us a couple of questions. Why do we feel this need to always be right? Why do we feel this need deep inside of us to prove ourselves? Why can we be such perfectionists? Why is it that we can't fail or make mistakes, and when we do, we feel like we have to cover them up? Why are we so obsessed with our appearance, with our image? Why do we so desperately sometimes try to blame others for our lives? Why are we scared of being real? We're still trying to wash. We're trying to make ourselves clean. Jesus says what's wrong with the world, it's not out there. He says it's in here. Listen to what he says. Look at verse 14. Again, Jesus, literally, at this point, he calls the whole crowd to him. He says, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. And even the disciples didn't understand that. So they asked Jesus, what are you talking about? And Jesus then explains that in verse 20. He says, what comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from the inside, a person's heart. 
and defilement, defile them. Do you know what Jesus is saying? That the source of our defilement, the source of our stains, it comes from one place, the heart, the heart, the heart. And the heart, according to the Bible, is our innermost being. It includes our thoughts. It includes our will. It includes our emotions. Our heart is, is, is our truest self. And the Pharisee strategy of, of, of outside in, it's, it's never going to get to the source of defilement because we can't clean ourselves. This goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. Think about when they defiled themselves. What did they do? They hid. And people have been hiding ever since. And think about all the ways that we hide today. We hide through blame. That's what Eve said. Eve's like, it was the snake's fault. Adam does the same thing. It was the woman's fault. And we blame. We, we, we reject personal responsibility for our lives, for, for sin. And we just blame it on others or we project it on other people. We hide through performance. If I just try harder. And then we get on this treadmill of trying harder, going faster, doing better. That's religion. And see, this is the problem with religion. It's, it's this idea that, God, if I perform it just well enough, if I do enough, maybe then you'll like me and accept me. We hide through our image. We use our image, our appearance, to cover up what's really going on inside our heart. Like the Pharisee, if I can clean the outside of the cup, somehow that will make the inside clean. We, we fake it until we make it. This is what Jesus says to all this. You hypocrites. In fact, hypocrite in Jesus' day was simply a technical word. It's, it's, it's a Greek word for an actor or an actress Anyone who performed on a stage was called a hypocrite. So Jesus takes this word and he says, Pharisees, you guys are nothing more than actors on a stage. This whole thing for you has become a show. And I'll tell you what makes religion so poisonous, deadly. It's not just the masks that it causes us to wear. It's not just our wrong assumptions about sin. It's, it's, it's what lies at the core. And listen to what Jesus says to the Pharisees in Matthew 23. This is stinging. He says, woe to you. Literally the word there is damn. Damn you guys. Jesus can say it. I think I can. <laughs> Rabbis. Pharisees. You hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. And woe to you, rabbis, Pharisees. Listen to this. You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. 
See, when unclean is seen as something that's outside of me, I never get to my heart. I never deal with my heart. Because sin is something that's always out there. It's in those people. It's in those places. It's in those things. It's in that kind of food. And then because I'm never dealing with my heart, I'm never getting to the root of my sin. And Jesus says, that's deadly. I mean, what an image of whitewashed tombs full of death. We can't hide. We can't cover our unclean. We can't clean ourselves. We can't save ourselves. This is the bad news of religion. But here's the gospel. In verse 19, this is the hints of the gospel. Jesus declared all foods clean. And I want you to hear what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I make the unclean clean. And then when you know the book of Leviticus, you're left wondering, well, how can Jesus say this? Because this is going against the clear teaching of Scripture. Well, let me take you to what I think is one of the most powerful pictures in the entire Bible. It's found in our Old Testament. It's a picture of who Messiah would be and and what he would do. In Zechariah chapter 3, Zechariah is given a vision of the high priest whose name is Joshua. And it says Joshua is standing before the Lord. To stand before the Lord, the high priest to do this, is actual technical language for what the high priest would do once a year on the holiest day of the year, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And on this holiest day of the year, the holiest man, the high priest, would enter the holiest place, God's living room, the holy of holies. And he would stand before the Lord and he would stand there as Israel's representative, as Israel's holiest man, where his holiness now is their holiness, where all his clean is is Israel's clean. And the preparation for this day was intense. The whole week leading up to this day, the high priest went into seclusion. He kept himself from touching or looking at anything that was unclean. And during this week, he washed, he prayed. Then the night before, he did not sleep. He gathered with other priests, and they prayed the whole night. Then on that day, the temple would be packed. All eyes were fixed on the high priest, who is this one-man show. The people were there to stand with their representative, their advocate. And then before entering the Holy of Holies, this high priest, he washed. Then he put on a white robe. He washed again, put on a white robe. He did this five times. And our text says when Joshua went and stood Before the Lord. It says in in, uh, Zechariah 3, verse 3. Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the Lord. And the Lord said to those who were standing before him, take off his filth. 
Do you see the shocker here? The holiest man on the holiest day of the year. Do you know what he looked like to God? In fact, this word filth is the Hebrew word for human excrement. His white robes are covered in excrement. How can this be? Because this is what a holy God sees when he sees the holiest man on the holiest day in the holiest place. This is why Isaiah says in Isaiah 64, all of us have become like one who is unclean. All of us. And all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. David in Psalm 24 says, who may ascend the hill of God? Who may enter God's living room? It's the person who has a clean hands, clean hands and a pure heart. Whether you know this or not right now, you have been made for that holy place. You, you have been made for this holy God to know him, to be with him, to be holy as he is holy. But left to ourselves, not one of us can make ourselves clean. We've all become repulsive. Or listen to what Jeremiah 2 verse 22 says. Although you wash yourselves with soap and use an abundance of cleansing powder, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the Lord. And all of this then just begs the question, what are we to do? Well, this is the role of a high priest. We need a true high priest who can stand before God as our advocate, as our representative, without stain and blemish. And the whole message of the Bible is that we have one. Because Joshua here only foreshadows the true high priest our hearts long for, the true Joshua, Yeshua, Christ, who is to come, who has come. And Christ is the one who ascends the hill of the Lord, who stands before God with one with clean hands and a pure heart. And Jesus gets to walk right into God's living room and he gets us in. And he will do for us what the Lord did for Joshua in Zechariah 3. I love what it says in verse 4. It said the Lord removed his filth, all his soiled clothes, and gave him a new robe, a robe of righteousness with no more dirt, no more stains, no more unclean, because the Lord dressed him. And this is what Christ does. And how did Jesus do it? Two times, Jesus says, I did it. He says it in Matthew when he's talking about the law of God, his Torah. He said, I didn't come to abolish it. I came to do it. He lived the life we could not live. And then on the cross, he ended it 
And he said, I did it. It's finished. He died the death we deserve to die. He who knew no sin became sin, became all of our unclean so that we could become the righteousness, the purity of Jesus Christ. Beauty, all beauty became the beast to make the beast beautiful. And so if you feel stained or defiled or dirty, you feel this need to wash. Maybe you've soiled your life. Maybe you've soiled your hands, soiled your heart, soiled your relationships. Outside in, according to Jesus, will never work. But today, Jesus can look at you and he can declare to you, you are clean. And he can make you clean from the inside out But to be made clean, you need to come clean. You need to stop hiding. You need to stop blaming. You need to come to Jesus. Just as you are, all your filth. And when you come to him with your filthy rags, he'll exchange it with his righteousness. And maybe today, some of you want to do that. Maybe some of you just feel this need to wash. Mikvah is such a great way to just say, God, my hands are dirty. My heart, my heart is dirty. My eyes, my face. And we can wash. And Jesus will declare us to be clean because of the song that we are right now going to sing. God, right now, I pray, though. I don't care, God, if people are quiet. I don't care if they sit in their chairs. But, God, I pray that repentance would take place in this room right now, God, that we would turn away from religion, from performance, from our image, God, that we could turn to you, Jesus. We turn back to you with all our heart and experience you making us clean from the inside out, Jesus. Thank you.